I would like to go home now. You've been divorced for two years already. People move on. She has. It's like you enjoy self-pity. You dropped this bombshell on me? Why didn't you tell me before? Because I knew you'd freak out and probably get so depressed you wouldn't even come on this trip. But then I figured that here would be the best place to tell you. We're here to forget about all that shit. We're here to party. Everybody, Duke's here. Uh, I'm at the beautiful, slightly crowded, slightly squalid Venice Beach Fishing Pier. It is a short sleeve day, a Saturday in January in LA. A little bit warmer than usual. Absolutely beautiful. And I'm here to introduce our podcast version of our live episode talking about the movie Sideways, the 2004 film directed by Alexander Payne. What we did was we invited the listeners to tune in to a YouTube live. We greeted them around four o'clock Pacific time, said go watch the movie on your own and then meet us back here in two and a half hours. The movie's about two hours and ten minutes long so that gave people time for some technical difficulties and bathroom breaks and all of that and what you're going to hear is right when we rejoined on the YouTube live uh, and you'll hear we're, um, we're kind of in a little bit of a hurry at the beginning because we knew that it was getting late for people on the East Coast uh, a lot of our friends go to bed early and we wanted to make sure that we would uh, have time for everything so we kind of rushed things at the beginning a little bit um, yeah let's just get right into it hope you enjoy it Sideways live on Upper Middle Brow. Well, how's it going? Good. Okay, that was the world's fastest ramble. Let's get into the recap. Okay, world's fastest <laughs> recap. Here we go. Uh, okay, Miles is an aspiring writer, middle aged, lives in San Diego, an English teacher. Miles, in, oh, and he has a beautiful red sob, beautiful red sob. Miles, and by the way, welcome back to Upper Middle Brow Live. This is the live taping. Uh, we've all just watched Sideways, and uh, we're going quickly because we know there's, we have some people on the East Coast who want to go to bed. Uh, but of course, uh, we have to recap the movie. So Miles and his best friend Jack go on a wine country bachelor week uh jack is going to get married and they're gonna have one final good time on the costa perdita the lost coast northern santa barbara county uh beautiful california wine country uh miles wants to play golf and taste wine jack wants to do a whole bunch of other things before he gets married uh, Miles has a big crush on Maya, a waitress, um, and Maya and her friend Stephanie eventually go on a double date with Miles and Jack, and Jack uh, has sex with Stephanie, achieving his goal for the week. Uh, one of his other goals is also to uh, get Miles uh, to have sex that week. Which seems possible, likely, but Miles, uh, during the double date, uh, does not get into a romantic entanglement with uh, Maya. They have a 
really lovely discussion about uh, Pinot and wine. And then Miles kind of gets a little bit anxious, sort of chickens out the last minute, swears at himself in the restroom. By the way, there's beautiful kind of rundown, dingy rental farmhouse in yeah. Santa Barbara County that reminds me of places I've rented and places people I know have lived. Jack begins getting very close uh, to Stephanie, uh, who has a daughter from a prior marriage. And Miles disapproves, but he feels compelled to kind of keep Jack's secret uh, that he's getting engaged in a, uh, or getting married in a week. Um, and then a little bit of time goes by. There's a bad night, but then they kind of have another double date. And this time, Maya and Miles develop a romance. Uh, which is then spoiled when Maya learns the truth of Jack's engagement, uh, when uh, Miles kind of mentions it in an idle moment. Uh, Stephanie is understandably very angry <laughs> and attacks Jack with oh, a so motorcycle well helmet. <laughs> it's so good. Sandra is so good. Yeah, yeah. She does everything perfectly in yeah. this movie. <laughs> like yeah. every note she hits, like like pitch perfect um, and uh, attacks Jack leaves him with a broken nose and this just hilarious like face bandage that he has to wear for the rest of the movie. Nonetheless, Jack involves himself in another disastrous romantic entanglement with a waitress at a bar that they head to um, sort of on their second to last night up north. Um, and, uh, Miles kind of, uh, is the hero of the moment. Uh, Jack leaves his wallet behind at this romantic entanglement and Miles, uh, goes into the monster's den to get it back. Uh, which makes me, uh, it made me wonder which of the seven great stories is this? Is this slaying the monster? I don't think it is, but, uh, that, at that, that moment, moment, at that moment it was, um, yeah. the beast with two backs, um, <laughs> No, and also note the strange appearance of George W. Bush and Donald Rumsfeld on the TV screen in the midst oh, of the heavy yes. metal. Uh, I have a screen cap of that, too. Um, no, and also I'll just note the sudden appearance of a MacGuffin in the mm -hmm. film for the first time. In the final act, suddenly there yes. is a MacGuffin, the wedding yeah, there's There's finally a thing to do, yeah. uh, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, well, there were other quests, but they were yeah. maybe not the best quests. Um, okay, so then we get to our very final reel. Miles apologizes to Maya, sends her a letter, calls her. Um, and then on the way home, Jack's got this sort of classic cinematic, uh, you know, be it Chinatown, be it Barry Pepper, uh, nose bandage. And he needs an alibi to explain to his fiance why he has a broken nose and why it was not caused by a woman he had a brief affair with. Um, and so he wrecks Miles' beautiful classic sob into a live oak tree. Um, and, then, and, then into a, uh, and then into a drainage ditch. And then into a drainage ditch. <laughs> the alibi works. They go back um, and the wedding goes off. Miles has a brief moment with his ex-wife mm. where he is gracious um, even though he is heartbroken and sad and angry that she's moving on and we learn that she's pregnant, Miles manages to wish her well in that mm -hmm. moment. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's one of his better moments in the film. You can really see, I mean, like, 
the one of my favorite things about this movie is the way that the actors manage to do that thing where they impossibly convey wrestling emotions that are going on inside of them right. and you can really see Paul Giamatti you can really see Miles wanting to turn into like the vindictive resentful bitter Miles he again. wants to say something nasty and he yeah. does not and he, he wishes his ex-wife well it's a remarkable moment. There's a bunch of moments like that. My God, the acting is like unreal in this film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Miles is M- Miles is not great after all of this goes on. Uh, there's a brief scene where uh, Miles drinks a, a 43, 44-year-old uh, 1961 Cheval, Cheval Blanc uh, in a burger joint. Um, uh, sort of, uh, and it, it reprises an earlier moment when Maya tells him that any time that you open a 1961 Cheval Blanc, it's a special occasion, which I, I think is very important. Um, and the movie wraps up. He gets a message from Maya. We learn that Miles has written her a letter and she says, you know, if you ever come on back up here, come and see me. Uh, Miles does, and the movie ends perfectly with him knocking on the door, and that's it. And very importantly, she has digested his apology, which was uh, which was a letter, and she has read his novel, which he delivered to her hilariously as two boxes of just like printed out manuscript after the failed the first failed flirtation you know, on a dark night in Santa Barbara County, driving home a bit tipsy. Well, look, look at us. Three minutes ahead of schedules. That's amazing. uh, And uh, we have uh, several people watching us live right now. (laughs) Watching us. This is amazing. I'm going to just launch into my first question, which is how many months or years will you give Jack's marriage? Wow. Um, that is a, that's a great question. Um, I think that goes to the heart of that moment when Jack is about to go off on his second assignation and he says this like terrible line, like about that miles understands, uh, books and wine and writing, but he doesn't understand Jack's plight. And for, for a little bit, I I was going to ask one of these questions about like, well, what, what, what do you think Jack's plight is? And the problem is, is that Jack's plight is that he's an asshole. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and, that, and that he's probably, like, if not, like, sex addicted, he is at least, like, he's, he's not grown up. He's totally, he is a total child. And that doesn't make him an asshole, but he's, he's not mature. And I think by him saying you don't understand me, Miles, is actually an important moment for Miles uh, because that is the beginning of Miles changing, I I believe. Hmm. Um, I don't give Jack's marriage much time at all. Um, I think he is... I think when Jack says, you don't understand my plight, I think one of the pieces of the plate is that he has he has become his own sort of joke like he is an actor he doesn't know what he believes in he doesn't know what 
is real for him. Is that the same moment where he says, all I have is my instinct? Or did that happen earlier? It's very close. I can't quite. It's very, it's, 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 very, yeah. it's very, very close. It's a similar idea, right? In, in one point, he says, I'm an actor. All I have is my instinct. Yeah. And, and you don't understand that. And yeah, I think that there's some part of Miles. I don't know. This is very, very tricky, though, because... Because Jack's greatest quality is his loyalty and love of Miles, mm-hmm. and which is also instinctual too. And so, it's it's an interesting thing because, and I have a question I'll ask about it later. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm going to combine this with my second question, which is whether okay. Jack's arc is redemptive. So, so one interpretation of this film is that Jack has learned his lesson. He sowed his wild oats. He hmm. did some really bad things and then did some more really bad things. He hurt people. He hurt people who were vulnerable. I mean, Stephanie yeah. is a great person. Stephanie's daughter, whose name I don't remember, seems Sienna? like a great, great kid. Yeah. And Jack's deception, his lie, basically he's telling them, I'm not married. He doesn't say that he's married. I want to come move up here. I want to get together with you. They believe that. They kind of fall in love with him. That was a lie. Maybe he believed it at the time. And in behaving badly and then behaving badly again and almost getting beaten up by a, you know, scary naked trucker, he <laughs> um, he realizes he really loves Christine and, you know, now he's had his, you know, room springer. He's going to be loyal. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a well-married person. That's one interpretation of this film, that he his bad behavior was in service of him growing up and learning a lesson. So I, I actually put a poll in our YouTube live, uh-huh. uh, and the question is whether or not Jack's arc is a redemptive arc. Mm. Um, so the, the, the choices are, you know, is Jack's arc in the film sideways, uh, redemptive, definitely not. Yes, he's now ready to settle down and be a good husband. It's ambiguous. Not sure. So those are your choices. So I've put that in. We're going to try a very brand new thing, which is to do a listener poll. So let's see what our uh, singles of listeners have to say about that. <laughs> and you, and we can move on to our next question. Yeah, I think while that's happening, so my mm-hmm. kind of it kind of goes into my question about the central the central tension between Miles and Jack. Uh, when you're making narrative, you have to your characters have to be different um, because there has to be some friction between them to generate plot and conflict oh, yeah. and interaction and things like that. And, and very often, these like tensions have to be consistent so the reader can actually like understand like eventually what what the tensions are that are at play. And they have they have to be dramatic. They have to be extreme. Yeah. Exaggerated. Yeah, yeah, they, they can't be, uh, you like apples and, you know, I like bananas, uh, you know. Or like, you like golden delicious apples. Well, that would be terrible and psychotic. You like honey crisp apples and I like cosmic crisp apples. Yeah, exactly. And um, it's that would be difficult to generate a two hour and seven minute, like, you know, plot out of that particular tension. What do you think the central tension between Miles and Jack are? How, how, what are the differences that they have that help drive the plot forward. I mean, you can you can almost do a four by four. Jack is like uh, at least one person 
uh, watching this right now will understand. He's like Matt Lunt's evil twin. Uh, um, <laughs> My for, God. Because yeah, he's <laughs> handsome and rugged and loyal, which Matt is all of those things. Mm-hmm. And then with bad character. Um, yeah. Which Matt and, is not. Matt, yeah, Matt, has, Matt, Matt, has, Matt Lunt has great character yes yes although there's certain aspects of their personality that's similar like if you saw the two of them together you'd be like yeah they might be related uh-huh. uh but um yeah no matt, matt has excellent character they both and, have great pecs yeah you know one of the, the things i love about his acting is his kind of middle-aged man shuffle he's got yeah he's got that kind of like <laughs> you know once athletic guy who's getting a little bit old sort of thing that he does and like slightly too big shirts you can't quite tell whether yeah. he's in shape or not um instinct right is his basic quality and he trusts his instinct and miles doesn't trust his instincts yeah um my and he's and jack is confident in himself to a fault and Miles lacks confidence to a fault. Like if you could average out their qualities, you'd have a, a kind of a pretty whole person. And it, it actually makes me wonder, like, is Jack a character or is he just a walking foil to Miles? Is That's he just, a great, yeah, it's a good question. Is he just sort of like uh, Nicolas Cage's character his relationship to Nicolas Cage's character and adaptation? You know, is, <laughs> is he just... <laughs> You know, confidence and handsomeness embodied. Mm. Although, you know, I do think in the end, Jack is a character. And the thing that Jack and Miles have in common is a a love for each other and a loyalty, a deep loyalty to each other, which is is a little bit redemptive. Um, As much as you as much as Jack behaves badly, he's unfaltering in his loyalty. And even when he is at his most selfish if Miles needs a kind of pick-me-up. I mean, sometimes he'll give him a stern lecture about, like, getting his shit together. But yeah. how many times is he like, yeah, your book's going to sell. You know, it's going to sell. And if it doesn't, whatever. Like, write another one. And if it doesn't, like, well, we'll, we'll I'll publish it. Hell, you know, like... Let's get it out there. Let's get it into some libraries. Which isn't a terrible idea. I mean, like, you know, it. it he, he's... he's He's willing to grasp at any straw for his buddy's sake. And that's actually his one endearing quality. I think you got it when you like, you really nailed it when you were like, you're talking that Jack trusts his instinct and Miles doesn't like I, the, the way like I read this is that like Miles can't stop remembering and Jack can't stop looking forward. Like, neither of them are actually operating, like, sort of in the present moment. Like, Jack's tension is that he is this, like, he's a dreamer of of impossible things. Um, and I think he's really good at fooling himself about it. And, like, that, like, the meltdown that he has, I think he is fooling himself. When mm-hmm. he's like, I can't lose Christine. Like, he's just, like, whatever the next thing that's happened, he is, like, all in on it. And I think that Miles just cannot get out of the past. And mm-hmm. I think that so I'm, this this gets me back around to my answer in your redemption arc. I don't think this is a redemption arc for Jack, but I do think it is a redemption arc for Miles. I well, think that Jack that stays where he is. Yeah. My pitch for Sideways 2, where Jack <laughs> has gotten divorced and gotten back together with Stephanie. 
Mm-hmm. And now it's Stephanie who might be fooling around a little bit. This is oh, like 20 years like later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Miles and Maya are married. And Miles' book has actually been published this time. But then Maya also has published a book about wines. And Maya's book is doing better than Miles. Oh no! That's so sad. Wouldn't that be good? I mean, we talked about fanfics for um, uh, for Big Night, but I actually think sideways bigger night. I actually think yeah, upside down. Upside down. Yeah, exactly. I actually think that would be good because I think there's. I think that actually Jack and Stephanie are sort of made for each other in a way, Mm -hmm. and if 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 Stephanie, if Jack could come to his senses, I mean. Jack's going to start doing real estate. The last moment we see of him is him being introduced to a bunch of her, his father-in-law's like, you know, business associates. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, this could work out. I might make some money. And you're like, oh, God, like, welcome to a life of boring yeah. affluence, you <laughs> yeah, know, totally. at, at, in the best case, in the best mm. case, if everything goes as well as it possibly can. Uh, um, let's see before. Have you looked at the, the poll results yet? Uh, I, I did. Um, okay. I was going to, I was going to ask you what your answer was before, before you looked at them. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's ambiguous. I don't okay. think it's a definitely not. I don't. I think it is. I think it's ambiguous in the same way as Miles knocking on Maya's door is ambiguous. Mm. I mean, she yeah. might have a boyfriend at this point, or I think I think her regard for him is genuine, and her acceptance of his apology is genuine. But does that mean that she still is romantically attracted to him? I hope it's. I hope. Oh, really? I hope he. I hope he gets the girl. Yeah. Yeah. What is That's, what is Maya seeing Miles? I mean, she. I think. I mean, you really can see that she is. Um, she's really. She she really likes him. The yeah. the moment when they are on the porch at Stephanie's, mm-hmm. um, and God, Virginia Madsen does a great job with this. Um, yeah. She really does that very like attentive. You can tell that she is like she's really into him. And she kind of leans forward. She puts her hand on his hand, and he and he ruins it. He messes yeah. it up. Yeah. He, he, um, but I think that she, what she sees in Miles, I think that she sees somebody who, who really is earnestly trying, could could be earnestly trying very hard, like when he's at his best. Mm-hmm. I think that if Maya could see that Miles has you know um gotten a little better and maybe not drinking so much and he let that kind of romantic side of himself come through more by putting the past behind him i I think they are a viable couple i I think we really can see that and i really god i really want that for them i just have an update on our vote which is that 60 percent say definitely not they agree with you uh (laughs) one person uh, 20% says he's ready to settle down and be a good husband. And then I was the one who voted it's ambiguous. Ah. So uh, the majority agree uh, that Jack's marriage is not in good shape. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's interesting, though, that smile that Miles gives when the alibi has worked. Yeah. I don't know. There's, it's, there's something he kind of shakes his head with a smile like, oh, yeah, 
we pulled it off. We saved the we saved the wedding. They did yeah. save the wedding, but yeah. did they save the marriage? Yeah, and there's that that's re- recapitulated. Uh, they they put it back in there in the moment you can. You, Miles and Jack make eye contact like through Christine's yeah. veil. Veil. Oh. Miles is holding the cross above. <laughs> The the married couple in the um, Armenian Orthodox. Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's basically Eastern Orthodox or Eastern Eastern it's Catholic. S- such a good moment, and you're yeah. right. Like I do think, like that's what's great about this movie. Um, I remember my parents seeing this movie, and I think they walked out. And if they're here in the chat, because I told them they should come and watch. Uh, like I love, I love this reading of my parents. <laughs> it was sort of like your they reading of. I think they walked out. Um, and it like, was a very, like they didn't they were unhappily like yes they, unhappily yeah uh. and and it was it, sort of like your experience of of a visit from the goon squad uh. sort of when you were at your most frustrated yeah i remember my dad being like they're just bad people yeah <laughs> and I they was are. Like, i know and i was like that's a totally totally valid interpretation How many lies are told in the f- i mean i i at yeah. like six minutes in i counted like seven lies or something oh, yeah. like okay so what's the first thing that happens miles is woken up uncomfortably knock 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 what's the first thing he says <laughs> fuck yeah i mean like you know no, it, it, my it's Germanic. such a great paul Giamatti way and, fuck! and <laughs> yeah and he's woken up he's parked in the wrong place He deals with that. He apologizes to the workers. He gets on the phone. He calls Jack and he's like, yeah, I know I said I'd be there at noon or I know I said I'd be there at 11. But and then he tells a half truth. They're doing construction. A bunch of crap happened. Then he goes to his local cafe, orders like a quiche, a muffin, a latte, a New York Times, comes back, takes a dump, reads the New York Times, leisurely packs, is on the road. Then... um, he lies, Jack lies about Miles' book. I mean, you could argue that that lie is like maybe a little bit more kind because it's, mm-hmm. it's coming out of loyalty. Then Miles does the whole mother escapade. And I mean, you know, they, he's, they, the, he yeah, is there's... crappy. I mean, he, he lies to Jack about what they're doing and how long they're going to be there. Jack thinks it's going to be a quick stop off. It turns out to be an overnight. And then while Jack is distracting his mom with his rugged good looks, Miles sneaks upstairs and steals like a thousand dollars of traveling money from her purse. Also lies about to the mom about whether they're going to stay there or not. She thinks they are. They get her drunk. She passes out and they sneak out in the misty morning to the wine country and yeah, like two rapscallions. Rapscallion is too kind at that moment. I wonder if you could like do a graph of the number of lies yeah. and like see if there's like an inverse relationship to like as the movie goes on. Like if there are fewer and fewer lies in t- like as the movie progresses, that would be really interesting. Um, like, of course, we end with like a big lie <laughs> about like where uh, Jack's uh, facial wound com- comes from. Um, yeah. But maybe it's in service of Jack's redemption. A maybe not. Truth, the truth yeah. of love. Yeah. And I think the, the, the joy of this book is that it lingers in ambiguity. Like well, that's why this, that, that's why this film is so important to me uh, because it doesn't, 
it doesn't condescend to us in any in in most ways. I have a question about metaphor that I want to talk to and and talk about and and see if you have the same uh, response about it. Well, I'll, I'll just to your point about that. I do think the movie is clearly redemptive for Miles, and part of that he becomes more self confident. He becomes more willing to say to the world what he wants, which is a theme. I mean, you think about Big Night, that's in there as well. Mostly Martha, that is also in there. And he he becomes more honest. And uh, I have a question about that that I'm saving. So maybe we can hear your metaphor question. Also, we have a reading queued up too, which we... Yeah, yeah, I know, which is going to be fun. I'm, I'm excited about that. Have we decided yet who is playing whom in our reading? I think I have to be Miles. I think you have so. to be Miles. Okay. Well, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to be should Jack. We let, I mean, Jack. Should would we be let? Should we let? A lot of fun. Should we let the listeners decide? How could they decide? How could they would how just? Could we do they it? would just. They they like listeners. If you uh, just put your preference for who plays whom in our upcoming reading, so just put in a little chat that just says. Chris played Jack, Jesse played Miles, something like Probably that. Probably need, then, let's just decide who's going to play one. Miles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just okay. just vote for who plays Miles. That, that, Perfect. That, uh, since there are only two categories, I think the math of then figuring out who plays the other <laughs> one is not beyond us. Remember, Jesse, I failed a test on absolute zero. But you've had redemptive growth since then. The About math? Pre- I hope so. I mean, you run a you run a business. You can't do that without some. I'm math. good at arithmetic. I'm not good at math. Metaphors, listeners. Metaphors. So, okay, there is a lot of talk about grapes and what they're uh-huh. like and what they mean. And Pinot Noir is temperamental and mercurial and thin skinned and sensitive, and it needs a a variety of, uh, you know, of climates. Um, The fog from the cool Pacific rolls in at night and cools the grapes. There's a, um, when they're leaving, when Miles and Maya are leaving from their aborted hookup, there's this moment where they finally get in their cars and she drives to the left and he drives to the right. There, there's a lot of these. There's a lot of these kind of visual and textual metaphors kind of like sprinkled throughout. Um, and I think they flirt with being a little overt or a little too much. Mm. Um, but I don't I don't think they actually become too much. And I'm I'm wondering if if you feel the same way or a different. I'm wondering what you feel about that. If that ever if that ever if you ever had that moment when watching when he's talking about grapes and you're like, what? Come on. I get it. I know. I, <laughs> I understand. No, I don't. I don't. Um Because it's it because it's the same thing I said about Parable of the Sower, which is that you could strip the metaphoric away from the story and it would still be a good story. Like yeah. it is a, a na- it's all naturalistic, you know, the, in fact, the reading we're going to do, the last thing that happens, you know, is miles runs into the, the, the grape fields and he looks at this cluster of grapes for a moment. Now, I don't know what that means, but the, the, the scene was, was miles. And I mean, it could have been played in a, black box theater miles Mm -hmm. and jack just doing miles and jack but it happened to be set in the santa barbara county like santa inez valley and so they ran and that's what was there Mm -hmm. grapes the grapes were there to be seen and so they see them and i mean like even stephanie takes jack on a date and they they go to the pinot fields and then there's also 
you know, there's this shot that I don't quite know what it's doing in there. It's in the like four square tiled shots of uh, probably Central American or Mexican or South American Latino workers who are of a different class than our protagonists doing all the hard work to make all of this possible, picking the Mm -hmm. grapes, harvesting the grapes, you know, in the hot sun. Um, And there's something metaphoric there, but there's also something that if you go to that valley, that's who you'll see picking those grapes. Yeah. Um, So it works for me for that reason. It's a found metaphor. It's not a forced Mm. metaphor. And even, and even yeah. um, you know when when Miles is sitting in the chair talking about Pino needing the most patient of cultivators and growers because of its thin skin. I mean, many people have said, "Oh, he's talking about himself." Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about Maya? Is Maya talking about him when she talks about what she likes about Pino? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's. Is he talking, uh, you know, the metaphor is also not one-to-one. I think that yeah. it is multivalent. I think it's broad. So to me, it's not too much. I think it's masterful. I mean, yeah. Alexander Payne is like the master of the the quotidian metaphor, you yeah. know, that, that his metaphors start in naturalistic human life. And that's why I loved the, the footage. Like, like I, I want to talk about the shooting style, which right. I think is just great. <laughs> like like this looks like it was shot on like a like a Sony handycam mm-hmm. you know and like and there is like great care and attention i think there's great care and attention paid to the like Sony handycam nature of it hmm. um it is really it's re- it's not it's really homespun hmm. um yeah. and the, those like those sort of like montage, uh, we were joking in the chat that it was like, well, this could be like Sesame Street or, you know, yeah. um, or a whole bunch of visual things. But you're right. Like, it's just he's just he's just scene setting. Yeah. He's scene setting in a um, it's a little travel montage. It's a little odd. It's a little out of place. It doesn't really happen too many other times in the film. Um, but whatever. And like the way that the camera um sort of shakily follows these people around. It looks a little amateuristic, except for like the moments when it's so very clearly like amazing and brilliant. Like the, 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 the scene where Miles is getting drunk at the dinner party and the way that it shifts from positive to like negative and like the, the focus. And at one point, Miles' face of, is like... a lot of sound work going on yeah. there too, where the music starts getting a little bit echoey. And then the rings of oh, Miles God. waiting for his ex-wife to pick up. They come in. There's way too many rings. Like there should mm-hmm. not be that many rings, but they come <laughs> in way too early and they intrude like... Um, like you're having a nightmare and somebody's trying to wake you up or you're having a pretty yeah. good dream. Uh, yeah, everything or like gets you're swimmy. drunk and somebody's trying to get your attention. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. exactly. And my favorite shot of the entire film, the pumping gas. It's, I mean, most usually the camera's pretty close in. There's a lot of yeah. face camera, and they're pumping gas. Usually, if we see the car, we get a very quick little like contextual shot of the car, and then we're inside the car with the two of them. If they're talking, we're always inside the car. The one time we're not inside the car is when Jack says, Miles, put on your seatbelt. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is great because you need, you need the visual moment of them not getting on the freeway. 
The car is supposed to keep going straight. And as soon as the seatbelt's on, what does the car does? It, you know, it, what does the car do? It just turns right. Camera tracks out, and we see it go right into that live oak tree, pretty like, slowly too. Like it's like uh, Charlie Chaplin timing. It, it feels like. I want to I want to re- rewind just a second because I have a question that mm-hmm. just popped up for me. What is it like for you experiencing sound, like in a movie like this, like? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it'd be like, it's like when, for me, it's like when you see somebody running in a movie <laughs> and I'm like, God damn it. Like who, <laughs> like who taught these people how to run? Um, and I wonder because your background is, I mean, your job is so attuned to sound is, does that take you out of it? Like noticing the mastery of it? Does it bring you deeper in? Like, tell me about your experience of that. Uh, usually it doesn't if the visuals are good. Like usually, usually because film is so visual, um, I might have to see it two or three times before I start noticing the sound, unless it's really mm-hmm. poorly done. So, So for example, I've seen this movie four times now. That was the first time I noticed the phone intruding on the the second double date is that the second yeah Yeah, it's the second double date um and i mean another classic example of this is uh the godfather right before michael corleone uh shoots um i forget who the turk uh the sound i mean i i did this recently for some students where i showed them the whole thing without the sound where he goes into the restroom finds the gun comes back the Turk's talking to him and he's getting all kind of wild eyed about to pull the trigger and then he shoots him. And then I did it with just the sound. And, um, you know, you go into the restroom and you hear this just like way too much watery sound, you know. Um, and then you come back out there and it's all very quiet. And right as Michael's about to shoot the Turk, the sound of the train is getting louder yeah. and louder and louder and louder and louder. And then when he shoots him, the train, I think it goes silent. But I usually don't notice that the first time around because, I mean, I think when audio is doing its job really well, you get visual. I think we're kind of more visual than auditory. Yeah. Totally. So I tend to only notice it the second time around or the third mm-hmm. time around. I notice the music cues also because mm-hmm. a lot of what I do as an audio producer. And I mean, one of the things I noticed this time is where the particular songs start, which song they use when. There's this kind of light motif, and you hear it the very first time like right when Miles and Jack pull out of the house for the first time and Jack's waving goodbye and he's like, bye, bye, bye. Where the fuck were you? You know, as soon as they're out of there, he kind of switches in this, it's this five, four with the, the light motif. And that light motif comes back in many, many other little respects. And I noticed that, but that's classic. I mean, you hear the same thing in, Star Wars, right? You know, dum, 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 dum. And then like later, like in the Ewok village, dum, dum, dum. When, you know, Luke takes his dad's mask off, it's the same music, but it's not a march anymore. It's dum, 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 dum. That's right. Dum, dum, dum. I think that's the last time you get that leitmotif in Jedi. Yeah, you get it, I believe, in the Ewok village when uh, Leia's hair is all combed out and they're talking. Um, you hear it uh, briefly yeah. at that moment, too. And now I want one of the Star Wars, like, 
uh, score cues to be in five four, <laughs> which would be. <laughs> Da, da, I don't. I don't da, think John Williams does da, does five four. Maybe it's one of like like the ad at walkers. It's like collapsing. It could be the Moss Eisley Cantina. Oh yeah. Could you make that? It's hard yeah, to come straight. Up. It's got to be. I bet that's cut time. That was I bet that's, I bet that's two. I bet that's like two, four. Yeah. It's so fast. It's, it's two. Yeah. It's okay. It's not five. Okay. By the, Burge, the people have voted for me to be. Yeah, Miles. they have. Yes, you got yeah. two votes. Uh, that makes sense. Um, uh, burger joint scene, hopeful or sad? It's sad, but it's sad in a kind of beautiful way. He hasn't gotten the call back yet. Mm-hmm. He's waiting. That's a really good question. You know, as I'm kind of thinking about this, did you know that recently Paul Giamatti, after he won a Golden Globe, was photo photographed with his Golden Globe at an In-N-Out Burger in Hollywood? Yes, I or love Beverly it. Hills. That's wonderful. Did he do that on purpose? Like as a callback to Sideways, or did he just want a burger? His Golden Globe is sitting there, and like nobody notices because it's America and everybody's on their phone, and they don't realize yeah. that like one of the greatest actors of our generation is sitting there. Um, I don't know. I really, I, you know, it's kind of like, I don't think it's sad. I think it's like acceptance. I think, I think what it's actually yeah. signifying is that miles has decided to be okay with who he is. And that's what's going on in his life right now. He doesn't have anybody to open his bottle of wine with, and he needs some comfort. So he's going to go get some, food and at least he pours it into a styrofoam cup it'll preserve the temperature you know yeah um so it it appears sad but i think it's maybe kind of miles at his core which is yeah. and you know hopefully he enjoyed the wine i think he enjoyed the wine he does, do there's think? this moment well yeah there's this moment when he did, gives this little like the expression of like oh my god you know of sublimity so we know that that's got to be a special occasion because Maya says whenever you open whenever a bottle you open. and so I think the special occasion is Miles is putting his past behind him I, I think I think you're right like I think that he's it's acceptance it's this moment of him moving forward and that's what the special occasion is is that and it's it is you know I mean it's bittersweet yeah. because like his special occasion is happening alone in a burger joint with a bottle of wine that is several thousand dollars <laughs> i would guess um and you know it's 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 really the the thing that i love about this movie is that it pulls no punches yeah. even in its ambiguity it pulls no punches well and it because i think that if it were just miles is drinking himself to death in depression and maya's answering machine pulls him out of that that's not a very interesting story that's i i I think that miles has changed and i don't know there's some real physics as a moviegoer that once your protagonist has changed a little bit 
you'll give them some good luck. You'll give them mm. my uh, yeah. calling, you know, and leaving <clears throat> that voicemail, which maybe he doesn't deserve ultimately. And, and I mean, this actually gets to my sort of physics of the film, which is that Miles' biggest mistake in this film is deception and dishonesty. And in the end, it's what costs him his apparent chance with Maya. He's party to a terrible deception, but he's party to it because of his loyalty with Jack, and he's uncomfortable with it. And Jack's greatest, most redemptive quality is loyalty. And Jack and Miles' relationship is special, and the core of that relationship is loyalty, which is why Miles is deceptive to Maya and Stephanie, which is what costs him his relationship and his chance with Maya, yeah. which is, and you see that we've gotten into a circle here, right? Of, um, you know, yeah, what do you make of that narrative trap? I think kind of, again, like this film's, I think the, this film's greatest strength is its ambiguity. Mm. And I think that hopefully Miles and Maya are going to, work work out work through that deception and work through like the place that that loyalty like put them like and i yeah i i hope that this is i hope that this movie is about miles changing and you know and i i hope that maybe his loyalty to jack next time will be to be a little bit tougher he could yeah he could be Look, I'm your friend, but I'm not going to lie to Stephanie. So if you're yeah. going to have this affair, you're going to do that on your own. You know. All right. Should we do our Should we do our reading and then go yeah. to trivia? Scroll down. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the Zoom. Are you ready? Do you see where we are? Uh, I have. We are we're starting exterior, lovely area on a hill. Yeah, and you will read the part of Jack. I, I will read, read the part, the part of, of, Jack. of Miles. I want. I hope that's not just because I have the higher voice. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's I wouldn't want to not, be either of these guys, but um, yeah, I don't know. Well, we, I mean, both of us have a little of both of these characters. True. And True. I think that's one of the reasons why we are so affectionate towards this film. Yeah. All right. Exterior. Lovely area on a hill. Day. Miles brings the sob to a stop and the guys get out. Before them lies an incredible view of endless vineyards. Nice, huh? Beautiful. Victoria and I used to like this view. Once we had a picnic here and drank a 95 Opus 1 with smoked salmon and artichokes, but we didn't care. Miles. She has the best palate of any woman I've ever known. She could even differentiate Italian wines. Miles, I... I got to tell you something. Uh, Victoria's coming to the wedding. Yeah, I know. You told me. I'm okay with it. Yeah. But that's not the whole story. She got remarried. She what? When? About a month ago. Six weeks. To that, that guy? The, the guy with the restaurant? Miles? Jesus Christ. Miles, get out. I would like to go home now. You've been divorced for two years already. People move on. She has. It's like you enjoy self-pity. <sighs> Makes you feel special or something. 
Is she bringing him to the wedding? What do you think? <laughs> you dropped this bombshell on me? Why didn't you tell me before? Because I knew you'd freak out and probably get so depressed you wouldn't even come on this trip. But then I figured that here would be the best place to tell you. We're here to forget about all that shit. We're here to party. I'm going to be a fucking pariah. Everyone's just going to be holding their breath to see if I'm going to get drunk and make a scene. Plus, Tony fucking Leving? No, no, no. It's cool. I talked to Victoria. She's cool. Everyone's cool. You've been talking about it? Behind my back? Talking about it? Miles turns and locates an open bottle of wine in the back of the seat. He uncorks it and begins to swig. Oh, hey, 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 hey. No, no, no. No, you don't. Jack tries unsuccessfully to grab the bottle from Miles, but Miles bolts out of the car. A very wide shot. Pursued by Jack, Miles dashes down the hill, all the while taking huge swigs from the bottle. <laughs> what made you? Uh, what made you pick that? Uh, that scene. Uh, it, it's illustrative of I think this thing that Alexander Payne does, which is. I, I, I call it micro-exaggeration, uh -huh. uh, which is using sort of broad gestures to stand in for kind of the big emotions of, ordinary, of a very ordinary event. You mm -hmm. got divorced, and your wife's getting remarried. I don't know, maybe 1% of people would act out in this way. Mm -hmm. Um you know, and you notice also when Miles gets bad news about his book, I mean, there's a similar moment where he uh, demands a bottle of wine from the crappy winery, doesn't get it, and then drinks the, um, oh, the is it the, the spit bottle? It's the spit, yeah. It's the, yeah, 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 it's the and spit. Then, and then and the stains are all over his shirt after that, too. And it, it's just, um, I don't know, it's just an example of, how Alexander Payne uses kind of broad gestures and big comedy to to narrate the big emotions of small life, right? Mm -hmm. And what happens after that, he grabs the bottle of wine and he runs down the hill. And then there's this moment of both of them gasping for breath, <laughs> you know, in the vineyards. And you could, I, you know, upper middle brow fans, you could suddenly expect like, hero protagonist and Raven to come oh like running through, like <laughs> trying to kill each other, you know, like we're in a similar scene to that, which would be hilarious. And then Miles looks up and sees the grapes. And again, like there's a metaphor there. I couldn't quite tell you what the metaphor is. Vitality, life, hope, fragility, some of those things, all of those things, none of those things. And also, you know, just sort of the, uh, the, the way that, that, Jack, for all his flaws, is reading, written with this unending loyalty. He's always going to chase after Miles when Miles grabs the wine and is about to go off the rails, you know? Yep. And he has a lot of flaws, but there, he, he's utterly dependable in that way. And maybe that and a kind of certain puppy dog look that he has makes him oh my God. kind of lovable despite Thomas all Hayden of that. Church does such an amazing job of keeping that little furrow... Yeah. in his forehead yeah. the entire movie like uh, you know yeah. like he's a labrador wow yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, yeah yeah uh, uh um strawberries yeah yeah <laughs> oh my god uh your yeah. uh you should remember the phrase the big emotions of small life mm. 
that's a that's a that when you write I mean I think book, that's Alexander Payne, right? Yeah. Like but, that's but everything. You, that, he does. you could hang a you could hang a book on that title. All right. Well, thank thank you for that. I will I will hold on to it. Yeah. Uh, I don't see any listener questions, so maybe we should get to trivia. Let's get to trivia. I think you're the host. You did a lot of the rundown organizations. All right. Um, Paul Giamatti, you probably know this. Um, his father was A. Bartlett Giamatti, who was the president of Yale, um, and then also the commissioner of baseball in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, most famous for banning Pete Rose for life. Um, <laughs> right on. But he also wrote maybe also like the last beloved baseball commissioner and mm. and not corporate baseball commissioner and he he wrote uh an essay that has some very memorable lines about baseball and so i'm going to read you three quotes and you're going to tell me which one is attributed to wow. Paul Giamatti's dad okay okay so a it breaks your heart it is designed to break your heart the game begins in the spring when everything else begins again, and it blossoms in the summer, filling the afternoons and evenings, and then as soon as the chill rains come, it stops and leaves you to face the fall alone. Oh, my God. That's A. That sounds, that sounds like E.B. White. <laughs> B. Uh, since baseball time is measured only in outs, all you have to do is succeed utterly. Keep hitting. Keep the rally alive. And you have defeated time. You remain forever young. C. It is played everywhere. In parks and playgrounds and prison yards. In back alleys and farmers fields. By small children and old men. Raw amateurs and millionaire professionals. It is a leisurely game that demands blinding speed. The only game in which the defense has the ball. Gosh, if you wrote some of these, these I'm stoked for you. I did um, not write any of them. Uh, yeah. I think one of them sounds like David Halberstam. Um, I'm going to go with C. That one has kind of the ring of like, uh, of like bigness that a commissioner would kind of like go for. It's a very, it's a very wide angle panning out kind of sweeping gesture um this this is a hard this is a hard question so i'm sort of down to throwing a dart but that one that one has sort of the whiff of grandiosity that a, a commissioner would uh would bring the grandiosity of a commissioner or an eight-part pbs series about baseball that was written by ken burns and his Damn production it. team <laughs> a is the correct answer uh, oh. let me read you the last part of it you can you count on it Rely on it to buffer the passage of time, to keep the memory of sunshine and high skies alive. And then just when the days are all twilight, when you need it most, it stops. Mm. Today, October 2nd, a Sunday of rain and broken branches and leaf-clogged drains in slick streets, it stopped and summer was gone. God, that sounds like E.B. White. Well, yeah, and interestingly, the second one was Roger Angel, who you know oh, who was E.B. White's close to David Halberstam. Um, yeah. yeah, none of those were David Halberstam, although I've I've read some of his baseball writings. But yeah, A. Bartlett oh. Giamatti, interesting guy. Um, you know, died young. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know that much about him. He was an English professor, and then I, I mean, why did they make him? 
president of Yale? I don't know. And why did he become the commissioner of baseball? I don't know. I don't know how this, I don't feel like that would happen anymore. Like I feel no, like not, not anymore, but, but like that particular, like the second half of the 20th century, if you like was like the age of the humanities, if you just got yourself like an English degree, you could be anything. You could be the commissioner of baseball. You could be the president of Yale because like it mattered, like it mattered to have that sort of like very wide, expansive view of humanity. And, um, and we can't do that anymore. We were born too late. We were born too late. Uh, that's another, that's the, the, the ending of a poem about, uh, about pitching, uh, well, making the batter understand too late. But all we have to do is keep the rally alive and not make the third out and we will live forever. God, I love that one. Okay. Uh, this one might be a gimme. Uh, I'm not sure. But um, what are the grape varietals in a 1961 Cheval Blanc? Oh, jeez. Is it A, Pinot Noir, B, Gamay and Cabernet Sauvignon, C, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, and Cabernet Sauvignon, or D, the grapes of Ringworld? <laughs> um, this movie would make you think it was Pinot Noir, but I don't think that's true. Um, and in fact, the movie is famous for disparaging Merlot, which is a very serviceable grape, a perfectly good grape. So I'm going to go with C. Uh, you are correct. Um, not only... Uh, so uh, Cheval Blanc is a straight-up Bordeaux, um, yeah. which is traditionally about 50% Cab Franc, about 45% Merlot, and a very small amount of Cab Sav. Um, and so there is another scene in the movie where he disparages Cab Franc as well. Right. And uh, so I think it is, a, you know, it's, it's just a wonderful central irony that the, the, the bottle of wine that occasions the special occasion is mostly a bottle of Merlot. Well, and also like California um, wineries... They all tend to have their table wine, their blend, but they're mm -hmm. they're very like they they fetishize grapes a lot. And in France, in the Bordeaux region, they're just like let's just pour some Merlot with some Cab <laughs> Franc and some Cab Saw. It'll be great. And uh, you know, as much as I love California wines, I'll take a I'll take a good Bordeaux any day over any of them. Well, well, I think we're there. I think we're there. Thank you, everybody. Do we have our quotes? Um, Probably one of the things we want to do is just remind everybody what's happening next, which is your yep. series, My Sour Culture, mm -hmm. uh, featuring The Sellout by Paul Beatty, The Sympathizer by Viet Nguyen, and The Milkman, or just Milkman, by mm -hmm. Anna Burns. Yep, that is what is uh, coming up next. And uh, yeah, if I don't see any other questions or shout outs in the chat we're just going to roll the credits yeah roll the credits baby upper middle brow is a small point production Jess chris bag and jesse dukes oh boy read the part about the uh, no, no, writers can, and editors can, and i'll fix I can this. Do this i can do this um, um upper middle brow is a small point production uh chris bag and jesse dukes are, are the poor the, girls are the slowly aging surfers and writers, former actors and current radio stars. But the, the, the actual truth this time, as opposed exactly. to figurative language. 
Uh, music is by Ben Pajak and Jesse Dukes. Design and website by me, Chris Bag, and you can learn more about us at uppermiddlebrow.com. We have a listener survey on our website. Thanks to those of you who have filled it out. Uh, if Thanks, you haven't, Leo. fill it out, please. Uh, Thanks, Dad. And we'll enter you into a drawing to win a storied Bluetooth speaker. Perfect for listening to Upper Middle Brow. Go to uppermiddlebrow.com for the link to the survey. And as a final reminder, Jesse and I are both writers and editors, and we can help you with your writing, podcasting, or editing project. You can see some of our portfolios and learn more at our respective websites, chrisbag.com and jessedukes.com. Check it out and get in touch if you want to talk about how we can help you with your project, big or small. A special thanks to everybody who showed up live, especially to all of you East Coasters who stayed up late Go to bed, sleep well, dream of the California wine country, and we'll see you next time on Upper Middle Brow. Thanks for being here, everybody. Good night. episode on sideways hope you enjoyed it the sun's going down here in venice beach I've got maybe a half hour it's time for me to get on my bike and ride back to the apartment where i'm lucky to be house sitting cook some saturday dinner maybe listen to a book on tape if you want to see exactly what i'm seeing right now this view of palos verdes redondo beach Manhattan Beach to the south, beautiful, industrial, squalid, LAX. Come to the Venice Fishing Pier and find the plaque with this quote from Walt Whitman. Sea of stretched ground swells, sea breathing broad and convulsive breaths, sea of the brine of life and of unshoveled yet always ready graves, howler and scooper of storms, capricious and dainty sea. I am integral with you. I too am of one phase and of all phases. That is Walt Whitman, courtesy of the Venice Oceanarium. Cook something delicious, pour a delicious beverage, and we'll see you next time.